Great to see you. Lovely to see you all this morning. If you're new here or visiting, you're incredibly welcome. Uh, please do go and grab uh, Kerry or um, Sarah from the welcome team. We'd love to help connect you uh, with this part of the body of Christ or whichever part of the body of Christ it is the Lord is calling you to. So uh, do come and find us afterwards. My name's Neil and I'm married to the amazing Kate. Together we serve this wonderful community of faith, the Southwest London Vineyard. Welcome to our newest members. Uh, it's wonderful to see you all. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. If you've been here over the past few weeks, you'll know that we've just finished off a series looking at some of the challenges of the Old Testament. And so we thought, why not keep looking at the hard stuff by doing a talk on money? which I know is just what you were hoping for when you woke up this morning. Um, before I begin, a couple of disclaimers. First of all, if you're new or visiting, um, you're welcome to listen. <laughs> uh, but um, please don't feel uh, any kind of pressure. Um, a, a couple of disclaimers, I suppose. Uh, the first is, I guess, I, I think most of us would probably uh, rather not talk about uh, money. It's kind of one of those things, like, let's just keep this to ourselves kind of thing. It doesn't feel like it's very British to talk about money. Uh, but to let you into a secret, you and me both. Uh, you probably don't want me to teach on money. And truth be told, I don't really want me to teach on money either. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing would be um, I really don't have this one nailed. Uh, speaking personally, for me, this is all a bit of a tricky one. And so right from the get-go, I really don't want you to think that I'm up here spouting, I've got all of this sorted, that I find it all terribly easy, you know, or that I'm incredibly generous, uh, would that I were. Uh, lastly, this isn't going to be some emotional plea uh, for you all to give more. I'm not going to try and give you some strange uh, interpretation of an Old Testament story. I did that over the last few weeks. Um, just to try and get you to cough up more cash. That's not going to happen. We're not going to pass the baskets round. Not that we have baskets to pass around. Uh, and then keep passing them, you know, until there's an, an adequate pile of cash in them and then you're allowed to leave. Uh, that, uh, this is not about all of that, so please just relax, relax. All, all we're going to try and do as best we possibly can is to open our Bibles so that we can talk about what Jesus has to say on the subject of money. It'll be great fun, and what I mean by great fun is it won't be fun at all. Um, so where do we start? Well, just in terms of context, one of the many things that Jesus is famous for is for turning what we think is really important kind of on its head, flipping things upside down. It's called the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul quotes from the words of Jesus who said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So that's already turning things upside down. And that, that word blessed there, it, it literally means happy. 
One translation has it as, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving, or there's more happiness in a life of generosity than there is in a life of greed. Now, I've been following Jesus for 43 years now. Uh, I came to faith as a baby. And um, I've, always, I've always found it hard trusting what Jesus has to say on the subject of generosity and money. And again, if I'm being honest, you know, I've always thought that Jesus' teaching on the subject was right. I mean, of, of course, it's Jesus. Uh, but I've also always thought that it wasn't particularly realistic or particularly practical. And what I mean by that is I've always known that being generous was, you know, the right thing to do, you know, the right way to be, absolutely, 100%, no dispute. However, meanwhile, back in the real world, it's just not something that it's that easy to do. But there's no getting away from it. Jesus talks about money a lot. And when I say Jesus talks about money a lot, I mean he talks about it a lot. Biblical scholars estimate that a quarter of Jesus' teachings have something to do with money kind of at some level. Can you imagine if every month here at Southwest London Vineyard the sermon was about money? Uh, I don't know, maybe we should give it a try? Just kidding. I think this is uh, probably, maybe, possibly, the fourth or fifth time I've taught on money in like 15 years. So not very good comparing that with Jesus. Jesus spent so much of his time talking about money. And, and what's intriguing about Jesus is, you know, he's not some rabbi leading a local congregation or a synagogue. You know, he's, he's not trying to raise money for the budget. He doesn't want to hire a new, I don't know, associate or assistant rabbi or something. He's, he's not raising money for a new building project for the temple in Jerusalem. He's not actually even raising money for the poor, you know, like Paul does in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is seemingly only actually interested in our hearts. He's only interested in the human heart. He's just interested in us living lives of freedom and love with God. And so, as far as I can tell, for Jesus, money is about so much more than money. It's all about our hearts. It's about what's going on in us. It's about who we are at the very core of our being, which is probably why we don't like talking about it very much. So to help us try and get to grips with it, let's have a look at one of Jesus' teachings. This is from Luke uh, chapter 11. This is on the practice of tithing. Another one of our favorite words. Uh, this is Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 33. No one likes... Uh, let's pray. Spirit of the living God, have mercy on us or on me. Uh, we welcome your presence. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We pray that you would come and you would speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 33. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Uh, keep in mind, this is the first century. A lamp was made of oil and ceramic pots or something like that, and it was incredibly expensive to light. You know, nobody would light it and then hide it. I mean, Apart from it being expensive, it would be a pretty stupid thing to do, actually, wouldn't it? Like, light it and then hide it under a 
a, a bucket or something. Uh, Jesus goes on, he says, instead, of course, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see its light. Now, this is like a familiar metaphor for Jesus. He uses it more than once. Uh, you see it at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and then he goes on in Luke uh, 11 to explain this metaphor. In verse 34, he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. And this is where it all starts to get a little bit cryptic. It's like, you know, Jesus, okay, I, had, I understood what you were saying about lamps and bowls. Now I'm not entirely sure I really understand what you're getting at. And while this may not make much sense to us, it would have made perfect sense to a first century Jew. A healthy eye or an unhealthy eye, it was a euphemism, it was like a figure of speech. And we often think about, you know, the eye as being like the window of the soul. And, and what that sort of means is that, you know, we think we can tell a lot about a person by looking into their eyes, looking in at them. Here, however, rather than this being about looking in, this is far more about looking out. Uh, if you've got an NIV and you've got, a, well, I mean, if you, however you're reading the Bible, I left them up there purposely. Normally I delete them, but I, I've left them there for you purposely. You'll see that there's a little footnote after the word healthy. And uh, if you look down to the literal or metaphorical bottom of the page, the word for healthy here implies generous. And then uh, there's the same thing for the word unhealthy. There's this little footnote, and that implies stingy. And this is basically a way of saying that there are like two different ways of looking at the world, two different ways to view reality with our eyes. And one is through the lenses of generosity or abundance, and the other is through the lenses of sort of stinginess and lack. Two different ways of seeing life in general and two different ways of seeing money in particular. And if we see the world through the lenses of abundance, what we're going to do, we're going to tend to see um, God's generosity everywhere we look. Uh, we're more likely to see a world where there's plenty for everybody. There's more than enough to go around. We see life. We're much more likely to see life not as a right, but as a gift from God, just the wonderfully generous gift of a wonderfully generous God. When we look at life like that, through healthy eyes, we're going to begin to live life with gratitude towards God and generosity towards others, especially to those who are most in need. We have, in that case, what Jesus is referring to here as a healthy eye. It's a healthy way in which we're seeing the world. On the other hand, if we have an unhealthy eye, like a view of the world that's kind of rooted and grounded in this idea of, uh, of lack or scarcity, we're going to tend to see the world very differently. We're going to tend to see it, I don't know, as overpopulated. You know, there's just, there isn't enough to go around. The future is nothing but bleak. We're more likely to see the world as a place where we're all in this fierce battle for limited resources, and so we just need to fight to get what's ours. It's like dog-eat-dog. Dog. 
And what happens is, slowly but surely, we're going to start to see all the things that we don't have but want. And so it's like, well, I want this and I want that or I need this or I need that until uh, we kind of end up being just consumed by greed. And if that kind of mindset is in our hearts, a first century Jew would have said, you've got an unhealthy eye, which is why Jesus says in verse 35, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. You see, because this stuff really matters. It's really important. The way that we see the world, the way that we see money, all these things, they really impact who we are becoming. Verse 36, therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. And what that means is if we can get our view of who God is, right, and if we can get our view of the world and our relationship with money and generosity right, everything else will take care of itself. You know, just think about people that you know who are incredibly generous. A generous people tend to be pretty happy people. They tend to be people filled with light. Okay, so hopefully all of this sounds quite sensible, uh, but it is a little bit sort of abstract. It's a little bit over here, um, which is why what Jesus goes on to do is to, um, what Luke goes on is to illustrate what Jesus is trying to get at and Jesus is teaching. Have a look at verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So Jesus went in and reclined at the table, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus didn't first wash before the meal. Now, we don't have time to go into it, but this whole you know, thing about ceremonial hand washing, just another, yet another example where, of where Jesus pays very little attention, if any, to the religious traditions of his day. Uh, Jesus just wasn't interested. The Pharisees were really interested in how much water you used and which kind of pitcher you used and what angle the water was poured over and all that kind of stuff. Jesus was just not interested in any of that at all. Uh, he, he was only interested. He is only interested in our hearts. And so he takes this as an opportunity to unpack what's really important here. He says this in verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. So the Pharisees, they're well known for their uh, greed. And this is like Jesus' word picture uh, for people who are religious and who like to focus on outward appearances, you know, who make sure that they look right and do all the right things and tithe the right percentages and have all of the religious trimmings and trappings down to a T. But meanwhile, inside there, in, in their interior life, or what we might call the heart, you know, the fulcrum of their orientation toward God and toward others, um, do you know what? That whole bit's a bit of a car crash. It's a bit of a mess and it's, it's filthy what he's describing it as here. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. But rather than uh, just having a go at them, 
Uh, Jesus extends this invitation to them, um, and it's this invitation for a way to change their whole attitude and mindset and practice. And, you know, before we go in too hard on the Pharisees, which is what I think we like to do, it's like, ugh, Pharisees, terrible, wretched people. I would never be like that, said in my best Pharisaical voice. Uh, I think the truth about the Pharisees is that um, many of us are very much like them. We like, we like looking good. We like to look good. We, we want to try and do all the right things. But sometimes in our hearts, uh, in the secret place of our core, uh, we're wrestling with, if we were honest, we're wrestling with greed and anxiety and fear and resentment and, and, and uh, all those sorts of things that just aren't actually very pretty. What's Jesus' solution uh, or his invitation in verse 40, uh, 41? But now as for what's inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. What Jesus is saying that if we just move toward generosity in, in both what we think and what we actually do, that alone, that one thing alone, just that simple act is going to begin to transform us and change us and clean out the interior of our hearts and lives. And then he goes on in verse 42 and he says, woe to you Pharisees. We've got all the woes coming, right? We're not going to go into them today, but there's a whole bunch of woes coming. Like, you don't want Jesus to say woe to you. Um, and I'd always kind of read this sort of like, you know, the scarlet letter, you know, or the, the, the high sparrow in the scepter in Game of Thrones. You know, shame, shame, shame. You know that? You don't know that thing. It's just you know, walking around with a great big A on you or whatever it was, you know, it's, I don't think that's what this is about at all. I don't think it's about that at all. This, this, this kind of, this woe, it's, it's not even really a word. Um, it's more like a guttural expression. It's like this emotional response. And really what's going on here is Jesus is going, oh, you guys, you're missing so much. You're missing out on so much. And he goes, woe to you Pharisees. Ah, I want to shake you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your flipping mint. He doesn't say flipping. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> you give God a tenth of your mint and your rue, which is sort of basically a weed, you know, and your, all other kind of garden herbs but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You see, they totally missed the point. They were scrupulous about giving everything, even a tenth of their herbs. But what about justice? What about loving God? They completely missed all of the important stuff like God's heart and his generosity and the poor and the way that we view the world and whether we trust God or not. All of this goes back to that famous verses, those famous verses in Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6 verse 6 says this, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No, not really. 
Verse 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Pharisees back in Luke 11, they kind of just totally missed the point of pretty much everything. And they totally missed the point of tithing. They'd missed justice and the love of God. And then Jesus says this fascinating line in verse 42. He says, um, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You should have shown radical generosity at the same time as giving your tithe. Not, and again, this is you know, classic vineyard stuff, quest for radical middle, not either or, but both and. And this isn't Jesus, I don't think this is Jesus criticizing tithing. This isn't him saying, you know, tithing doesn't matter, don't like it, uh, just ignore it, don't worry about it. Uh, he's saying, I think, uh, you know, that's great, you're tithing, that's great, fantastic, well done, great job. Of course you should be tithing, it's a kind of a given, um, and, and alongside it, don't neglect justice and the love of God. Keep being generous with your finances, and in, you know, the, the Pharisees' case with their mint and their rue and their herbs and everything else, and keep being generous to those in need by loving God and loving and serving one another. Okay, so what's all this talk about tithing got to do with us? Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to start a, a new family line. And God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Uh, God blesses Abraham so that Abraham will be a blessing. Another way to translate this is, I will be generous to you and you in turn will be generous to other people. Paul writes something similar to the church in Ephesus about how we as the church are to bless others. This is Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in, heaven, in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. God brings his goodness and his blessing into our lives, and he turns us into a conduit so that we might share that goodness with those around us. And the same goes with our money. Billy Graham once said, if a person gets their attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. And that's right in line and in keeping with what Jesus is teaching here in Luke 11. If, if love and generosity are two sides of the same coin, two different ways of sort of saying and expressing the same thing, uh, that means becoming a person of love, someone who loves the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength and love, loves our neighbor as ourselves, it's going to mean that we become a people of generosity. What we do with our money is at the heart of us becoming a people of love, a people of Genesis 12, a people of Ephesians 3, a people of Matthew 22. 
And I've touched on this, you know, at first glance, uh, Luke 11 might give us the impression that Jesus' view of tithing is negative. Um, But notice that Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't tithe. Jesus says, you should have done more, not less. You know, and that's not kind of like to lay anything heavy on anyone. He's not trying to guilt anybody out or lay some massive burden on anyone. He's just, Jesus is just saying that we should be reflecting the lavish and abundant and generous nature of our God in the way that we handle our finances and what we do with our money. Because, you know, at the end of the day, tithing is not an end in and of itself. You know, it's not like, here's my 10%. It's like a tax, you know, like a toll duty. Tithing and being generous with our finances is one of the means by which we become people of love, one of the means by which we become people who are free. Tithing is one of the means by which we become people who reflect the nature of God to the world in which we find ourselves. As best as I can tell, for Jesus, tithing is one of the means by which we actually move away from fear and greed and anxiety and actually injustice and instead move towards what Psalm 23 calls a life where we lack nothing. Now, all of this raises the question as to whether tithing still applies today. Um, And the short answer to that is it depends who you ask. So if you ask enough people, you're bound to get someone who agrees with what you want them to say. Uh, Many would argue that yes, absolutely it applies, especially uh, Pentecostal and evangelical uh, traditions they will place a heavy emphasis on tithing. And in those traditions, tithing is always uh, to the local church. Uh, Other people will push back and argue against tithing. And although it's possibly a bit of an argument from silence, they'll say that these verses that we've been looking at uh, are the only, uh, it's the only time that tithing is actually mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, there's a lot about money in the, te- in the teachings of Jesus. There's a lot about money in the New Testament. Uh, it's very, very clear that we are to give to the poor. It's very clear that we're to live generously and simply, uh, unless I've missed something, which is more than possible, uh, this is the only mention of tithing in the entire New Testament. And then there are others who say, well, hold on a second. <laughs> You're not going to get off that lightly. Uh, surely, if the call of Jesus on our lives is to a more radical lifestyle, surely the call is for us to give more, not less. You know, and if so, 10%, if 10%, and there are arguments around different kinds of tithes in the Old Testament, that it wasn't actually 10%, it was more like 25, 24%, something like that, because there were different kinds of tithes. But let's just say, if the baseline in the Old Testament is 10%, And here in the New Testament, Jesus is referring to 10% with the Pharisees. Surely, we, as people of the New Covenant, should be giving way more than that. And so, we shouldn't actually be asking God how much we should give. What we should be asking God is, how much can we keep? Now, in all of these debates, you know, and there are probably many others that I haven't mentioned, who's right? I have absolutely no idea. Honestly, I'm not. I don't know. I'd be inclined to think that this last one, that last one of a, of a call to a radically counter-cultural lifestyle where we've surrendered everything in our lives to Jesus, including our money, is this space where we are always giving away as much as we possibly can 
that would be far more in keeping with the teaching of the New Testament than the others. But honestly, I'm not sure it matters who's right. This is far more about what Jesus is doing in our own hearts and how we are living life to the full and finding freedom and finding joy and finding light, you know, rather than squabbling over percentages. You know, pre-tax, post-tax, 10%, 2%, 20%, 90%. It's between you and the Lord. It's all about our hearts before God. Freely we've received, freely give. And if you're wanting to step out into this and either start giving or start giving more, just as I finish with, here are a couple of thoughts uh, that might be helpful to start with. Uh, And again, let me say this loud and clear. These are just thoughts, uh, neither of which to my knowledge are specifically commanded in the New Testament, um, but instead are based on centuries of practice of faithful men and women of God who are trying to follow and have been trying to follow Jesus with their whole lives and what they have done as they learned to live generously and expansively. And the first is tithing. You know, it's probably fair to say that most followers of Jesus would counsel giving at least 10% to the local church that you're part of. Um, Now, if 10% you know, is way too much for you, for whatever reason, uh, whether it's because you're massively in debt or you have an incredibly extravagant lifestyle or you're um, signing on or whatever it could be, who knows? There are all sorts of reasons, some of which may be um, more legitimate and other reasons which may be less so, which is, it's all okay. Uh, just start where you can. Just start where you can. So if 2% feels like you being generous, fantastic, wonderful, great. No, you're not hearing any argument from me. Just start there. And see what, see what happens. See what God does. For many of us, though, um, 10% is nowhere near enough. It's, no, it's nowhere near enough. We've been entrusted with much, and we're being asked to give much. And if that's you, then maybe the Lord's inviting you to give over and above what you're giving right now. Um, and again, it comes back to the question, to the, you know, we ask the Lord of, you know, how much do I get to keep rather than what's the least I can get away with giving? And then um, the second thing is this, and it, it's, it's giving, basically. So you've got tithing on the one hand and then giving on the other. And it's giving over and above what you give to the local church. And what uh, many people do is once they've given their their 10% or their 20% or their 2% to their own church uh, community, they set aside an additional sum of money just to to give away. Just to give away. Uh, For some people, it might be a percentage of their income. Uh, For others, it might be like a significant chunk of money. Uh, For other people, it might be 20 quid whatever the amount um, it's, it's irrelevant really it, it's, it's just money that we set aside each month just to give away and just to bless 
other people. Uh, it, it might be that you just give it away to a charity. It might be that you give it to someone on the street. It, it might be that you give it to somebody that you know is in need. Uh, whatever you do with it, uh, my counsel, I guess, would be just start with those in need. Start with the poor. As we um, press in to be a people who, who love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and our soul and, and uh, our strength, as we, as we grow as a people who want to love and serve our neighbors and love and serve the people around us in need, let's just go back to the Lord this week and ask him what he wants us to do with our money. Every good gift comes from him, came from him in the first place. So let's ask him what does he want us to do with it. How much would he have us give? How much would he have us give to the local church that we're part of, whether that's here or whether that's somewhere else or wherever it is that you are part of a local church? Um, how much would he have us give that's over and above that? to those people who are in need. And again, this is just, don't, please don't mishear me. This has got nothing to do with the number of zeros. That's kind of immaterial. This is about our hearts. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 9 as sowing generously and reaping generously. This is about giving what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver, in the knowledge that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. <laughs>